Again, take your Bibles, turn to Hosea. We're going to be looking at a lengthy portion tonight, but this this, uh, actually runs on through chapter 11 of the book, but uh, we're not going to we're not going to bite off that big portion. We're just going to we're going to keep this together that that uh, that fits together right here. Five one through seven two. I won't read all of it now. We'll read it in peace as we work through it. Hosea five. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and set a, set a, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He is withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Sound the alarm at beth We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he is determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria. And sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress earnestly seek me. Again, may the Lord bless the reading of his word thus far as we consider it here tonight. Father, we do ask that you'd give us ears to hear, that you'd give us faith to believe. Father, that you would uh, be kind to us tonight, keep us alert. We know at this time of the day, often some become sluggish. May we always remember that we're in the presence of the Most Holy that your Shekinah is glowing all around us. How could we grow weary? How could we grow sluggish when we're in the presence of Almighty God? 
Give us that mind as we continue. Cause us to rise up from this place and go out more like Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Uh, as I worked through Isaiah, I, uh, I shared nuggets from Alec Motier. Uh, Motier is uh, deceased now, but was one of the really outstanding 19th or 20th century. I live in the 19th century, so I just automatically say that. Uh, 20th century scholars, early 21st century, Old Testament scholars, particularly on the prophets. And this is what he says. In these verses, the prospect darkens. Now, we've already seen some pretty dark prospects as God is dealing with his people. Remember, the people of Israel are, are, are personified, if you will. They're illustrated in Gomer. We've already looked at Gomer, the first three chapters, the Hosea-Gomer relationship. But that was all just setting the stage. And God now is turning and he's making application to Israel and all the sins of Israel that are copycats of, of Gomer. She's, she's just a, one example in the nation Israel of what the nation itself, the people of God, have been doing. And the lesson in all of this, carrying through chapter 7-2 for tonight, is that God is not pleased with carnal repentance. We're right on the precipice. I, if I had continued reading, verse 1 of chapter 6 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that we may heal us, that he may heal us. We need reviving. We need to be resuscitated. We need to even be resurrected. Oh, that sounds pretty good. But what we're going to see as we work on through there is that God knew their heart. And their repentance was not genuine. He names a bunch of places here. We'll dispense with this in the introduction. Gilead, Mizpah. And if, if, if you had time, you could go and look these up in the Old Testament. But for the people of this day, they would have reminded them of some better times. For instance, uh, at Tabor, they would have thought about Deborah and Barak. And there we saw some great victories that God performed for the people. In uh, Mizpah. You've got uh, names like Jacob and Jephthah and uh, Samuel associated with Mizpah. That would have been pretty encouraging too. But as Motir reminds us, these locations were now infamous, not famous. They were infamous for their sin. So God is saying these places that were once high places are now low places. And so as God rails on the spiritual and physical prostitution of 
of Israel. Let's, let's look at a few truths here that will be good for us, the church today, because after all, all these things were given to us for, for examples that we might learn from them. The first is just what you see there. Israel's sin makes them a snare and a net to others. And in other words, they're traps. They trip people up. Some of you young boys and maybe some of you young girls have played around with setting snares to see if you can catch a rabbit out in the backyard. You go out in the morning and something tripped it, but you didn't catch anything. Or a net. You know, with a little trigger on it so that something walks under it and grabs hold of that little string that's keeping the net nice and taut up above ground level. And if the net falls at the right time, it captures whatever's under there. Well, that's what's going on here. Only that's not what the people of God are supposed to be, is it? They're not supposed to be traps. They're supposed to be a blessing to the nations. You remember that from Genesis 17? The covenant promise to Abraham, to his descendants, they'd be blessings to the nations. And here they are, they're a curse to the nations. Whenever the church goes off the rail and departs from the scriptures, the belief that the scriptures are the inerrant, infallible word of God, that for all your spiritual needs, that's the only place you should and could go. When the church has left that, they've become a snare and a net, and they have become a, a, a stumbling block to the people that hear their message. That's what Israel had become. They're a curse. Notice what it says here in, um, in verse 6. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He's withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with God, for they have borne alien children. It's remarkable, isn't it? And why is that? Because verse 4 says, they know not the Lord. They know not the Lord. And yet, these are people who would have said, we're God's people. Now bring that into the current situation. These are people who have said, I'm a Christian. We're Christians. And yet they were a stumbling block to people. They weren't helping people know the one true God. They were keeping people from the one true God. It's interesting, isn't it? God's providence, how it works. We say this every once in a while because it happens fairly regularly around here. Uh... I wouldn't have planned to preach John eight thirty one through fifty nine 
this morning when I was going to preach this passage in the evening? Because you've already noticed they're really similar. They're about, they're about superficial faith. They're about false repentance. They're about people who profess one thing, but they don't possess that. But in God's providence, that's the way it worked out between this happening and that happening and us having Duncan Rankin here. And it just, all of a sudden, these two passages. So apparently God wants us to hear this. And before you say, well, it's probably for somebody that's streaming tonight. I, I, yeah, I know God knows who's up there. But I, I, and I'm not going to say I don't think he cares. But I do know that he cares more about who's in here right now to hear this. And so we have to consider this. They didn't know the Lord. That's why. And then with their flocks and herds, they go to seek the Lord. In other words, they're going to offer sacrifices. Living on in their sin. So here's the sin track over here. And yet they're going to try to somehow offer something over here that's pleasing to God. Israel's sin makes them a snare and net to others. That's the first point. The second, Israel's superficial repentance will not please the Lord. That picks up in, in verse 8. Blow the horn in Gibeah, trumpet in Ramah, alarm, sound the alarm in Bethaven. Ephraim shall become a desolation. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. That's the property boundaries. Uh, now remember, Isaiah is prophesying at this same time to, to Judah. Hosea is prophesying to Israel. Judah's coming after you, Israel. They're encroaching on your property. Uh, this theme's going to pick up here in a moment. And then notice what God's going to do. Is he going to accept their is he going to accept their 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 flocks, their herds, their sacrifices? No, instead, he's going to be like a a moth. And he's going to be like dry rot. Went out last spring, got the old pressure washer down, took it up for my wife to use while I was leaving. She wanted to. I didn't have to force her. My fine Honda pressure washer. It will take your skin off your body if you, if you, set, if you have the wrong little plug on the end of that pressure hose thing. So be careful with them. What I didn't know that was over the three years that I've had it, four years, five years I've had it, hanging under the deck in the dry, but outside, exposed to the elements. Those little, those little rubber rings, those little black rings at one of the fittings had dry rotted. And so when I started it for my wife, but I was not standing there when she pushed, she pulled the trigger on it. 
to start cleaning the sidewalk. And where that little ring had dry rotted, water just covered her. There was almost as much water, she said, coming out of that dry rotted ring couplet as there was out the end of it. God is a dry rot to Israel. They're just coming apart. He's a moth. Some of you know what that means. You store stuff. You go back later, especially wool, goods. If you don't handle them properly and have the proper kind of stuff in there to keep the moths at bay. And you go back and you put on, you open up your wool sweater for the winter time. And it has all these wonderful little holes in it. That's what God was to Israel. He was a moth eating, eating them up, chewing holes in them. That's not good, y'all. And then what was their response? When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria. Why wouldn't you go to God? Why wouldn't you say, I'm sorry, forgive me? Why go to Assyria? Well, we've seen this already throughout the book of Israel, or the book of Isaiah, rather. But notice God's quick. He will not be able to cure you or heal your wound. Remember, God was the one that put Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and his armies against Israel and against Judah. The conquered Israel, that's going to come in 733. Isn't that that not remarkable? He knows their heart. He doesn't accept their sacrifice. They go out after other gods, which is exactly what Gomer has been doing in going out to other men instead of to Hosea. And God says, I'm going to use the very person you've gone to help you bring you down. So Sennacherib comes, 733, 732, and the exile sets in in Israel. Remember I said on the first Sunday evening that Hosea is prophesying in the 8th century. Conservative scholarship says that this exile probably started in the lifetime of Hosea after he prophesied of it. Now, that's unusual. You know, Isaiah prophesied, and it was out there a bit, right? He kept prophesying, but it was 150 years out. He prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ coming, and that was 700 years out. And now Hosea prophesies, and it's right there. But here's the kicker. It still didn't get their attention. Don't you think. Don't you think. If I were to prophesy right now. And I'm not going to. Don't worry. 
But if I were to say, pick a name, any name is going to walk through those doors right any time now. And before this service ended, that person walked through. And they weren't supposed to even be here. They weren't even supposed to be in the country. They weren't supposed to be. You'd probably start paying closer attention to me. I wouldn't just be the preacher. But they didn't pay any more attention to Hosea than they had before. And so God lashes out and uses the exile. Third thing, not only had they become a snare to the people around them because of their unbelief, and not only was their superficial repentance not pleasing to God, but rather it led God to send Sennacherib in upon them, Israel's desire and God's desires collide. That's what 6, 1 through 7, 2 is all about. The collision of the two differing desires. And so they say, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us that he may heal us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third, he will raise us up. They understood, just like the people of the day of Jesus, what the significance of the third day was. The third day was the day when the body, the dead body begins to decompose. So there's talking about here not just being resuscitated, about being resurrected. You say, oh, wonder if this is about Jesus. Well, no. But it certainly points us to Jesus, doesn't it? Since we know our New Testaments. That he was raised on behalf of sinners like these people of Israel. He was raised on behalf of sinners like us. Who do the very same thing. We offer our sacrifices and they're not acceptable because our repentance is not genuine. It would appear appear here in chapter 6 that something of a light has come on for Israel, but it's not really. They're saying all the right things. Let's return to the Lord. Uh, They seem to understand their spiritual condition. We're as good as dead. We need to be raised up on the third day. And the reason we need to be raised up is because we're dead. We need to live. Be raised up on the third day so that we may live before him. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And then God replies, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Ephraim representing Israel, Judah, Judah. Your love, he says, is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Not much has to be said about that, does it, to explain what God is saying to the people here. All the good-sounding theology, 
all the, the need for supernatural repentance, God sees through it. He knows man's heart. Notice what it says next. God says, therefore I've hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. My judgment goes forth as the light. For, here's the reason. I desire steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, God says, in return for my covenant faithfulness. I don't desire a sacrifice. The knowledge of God I desire rather than burnt offerings. But what did they do? Instead of steadfast love, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this real quickly. If you want to talk about it later, we can. Some of your translations may read, but at Adam, they transgressed the covenant. And some take that to be a location that's being talked about, a specific place where they did something to transgress the covenant. But these people are transgressing the covenant all over the place. No, he's talking about steadfast love. I desire steadfast love. I desire covenant faithfulness. I desire the loving kindness that I give to you. I desire that back. But like Adam, they transgress the covenant. What did Adam do in transgressing the covenant in the very beginning? He aspired to be God. That was his great sin, right? That's what Satan tempted him first and foremost with. God knows if you eat of that, you'll be like him. That's the ultimate sin in the garden. Wanting to be like God, not being happy with God being your God. There they dealt faithlessly with me. It goes on. Gilead is a city of evildoers. Robbers lie in wait for a man. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I've seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel's defiled. He starts just, God just goes off. <laughs> telling them all that they're doing. And yet they stand up with crocodile tears. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. They offer their mea culpa. But their repentance produces tears and it produces fears, but it doesn't produce genuine change and fruit. You understand? Repentance has two elements to it. Remorse slash sorrow slash hatred for what you've done and the fruit of repentance, the righteousness that flows out of a changed heart. God saw through their hypocrisy here. They, were, they cried, they were fearful, but they weren't repentant. They had transgressed the covenant and it didn't really bother them. If you don't believe God, like they didn't believe God, then you begin to think God doesn't really know what's going on. But look how God answers that. When I would heal Israel, verse 1 of chapter 7, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed. And the evil deeds of Samaria, 
four, they deal falsely. The three, the thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside, but they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. That's the problem here. This superficial repentance was based on, well, God's probably forgotten. God doesn't know everything we've done. Surely God can't know everything. So we'll, we'll, we'll give our mea culpas, culpas for, those, for those bad things. And God says, they, they think I don't know. They think I don't remember. And here they are, ever before my face. You know, the Coram Deo thing of Ligonier ministry, table talk, Coram Deo, before my, in the face, before the face. We forget too, though, don't we? We forget sometimes. We pretend at least like, well, you know, this is not a big deal. Nobody's going to know. The curtains are pulled. The lights are low. I'm not even at home. Nobody will know. And God says, you are before my face. Verse 15 of chapter 5. God said, I will return again to my place. That's not the only time in this lengthy passage he says, I'm going to withdraw from them. Next time you feel like God's far away, he probably is. But guess what? Don't blame God. Blame your sin. It's what we all have to do, isn't it? That distance that we feel, we cause it. God's omnipresent. Now imagine that. How bad must sin be for us to be able to feel like we are a long way off from a God who is everywhere? And God says, and I remember too. I remember all their evil. And notice something else here. I kind of hopped right over this, but this is important. In verse 2, but they do not consider that I remember all their evil. And I, I commented on there before my face, and that's a big deal. That's, that's, that's I think, primary here. But notice something else I, I didn't comment on. Now their deeds surround them. In other words, their suffering, their sin has, has, is causing their suffering. Do you understand? Young, young folks, children, listen. Your sins will always cause you problems. Always. It's been a long time since I said this up here. I, for a long time, thought my mama was almost God. You know why? 
I couldn't get away with anything. She seemed to know everything. I don't know how that was. But it was good when I finally caught on that, you know what? We don't live in a vacuum. That idiot in the 19th century that said that we are islands, that we are our own, he obviously didn't live in reality. He was on drugs or something. No man is an island. No man is his own Lord at the end of the day. Our sin surrounds us. God knows it. And it will eat us up little by little in our souls. God's requirement for holiness has collided head on with these people. And he has sent Sennacherib on them. And he is dealing with all their iniquity. He will always do that. Always. He's faithful. Gomer's sin brings all Israel under the harsh hand of God. And remember, always Gomer's individual life represented Israel corporately. And you better come to God with more than words. You remember what James said? Be hearers of the word and not doers only. No. That's not what he said, is it? He said, do not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Said so they knew what to do. They had all the right theology. Let's return to the Lord. We need to be raised up. But they didn't want to leave their sin. They didn't hate their sin. They didn't want to be doers of the word. Sacri- superficial sacrifices, token rehearsals of the apostles' creed or confessions of sin won't satisfy God. Only thing that satisfies God is genuine repentance that loves God with a whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and our bodies. Here's the beauty. For all his people, he provides the means to be doers, not just hearers. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is he who is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Aren't you glad? Everyone here who's in Christ can say amen to that because they've experienced that over and over. That the power of God is greater than the power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I mean, the Bible didn't just say that to be saying that. When John said that, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world, he said it because God told him to say it, and God said to say it because God does that for us. He loves his people. Everyone who's in Christ can walk out the door tonight assured that he will see you through, see us through. There is no temptation that has arisen, but God has prepared a way of escape from it. These people had nothing to offer God because they wanted to be God. 
and their repentance was superficial. Let's not be guilty of the same as we go out tonight. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask now that you bless the preaching, the hearing, and the doing of your word as we go out. We do love you. Thank you for teaching us these hard truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.